Well, you've got one more row and you're in danger zone, so I think you're okay there. Shower's a blessing, that's good. We are in Genesis 6 this evening. I trust you've had a good week. Had a really good time this afternoon. We had thir uh, 20, uh, 30, what is that? 32 this afternoon there. So I had a good, good afternoon group, lively group. It's amazing what sugar does. Feed them sugar. <laughs> Let me read you verses 12 and 13 of chapter 6, then we'll pray and then get started in our lesson. Genesis 6, 12. And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh is come before me. For the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for your love. I thank you for your faithfulness. And I thank you for your word. I thank you for giving to us this amazing book called Genesis. And dear Lord, I would ask that you would meet with us tonight. In the Spirit of God, would you direct our thinking and teach us. I pray, Lord, that we will be more Christ-like as a result of learning more about you. And we'll thank you for what you're going to do. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you're taking notes, we'll start right off the bat here. God's decree and explanation to Noah. God's decree. In our verse that I read, it said it was corrupt. Now, any of you remember what we said was the definition, or another or synonym, if you will, for the word corrupt in the Bible from last week? Decaying. Somebody else said evil as well today, but decaying is the word that I gave. Decaying, rotting, spoiling, um, giving a stench off as it does so. God says the whole earth is corrupt. Letter A, God's decree was well-founded. Whatever God says is well-founded. We don't have to wonder, is what God's saying true? But to support it, number one, it had decayed beyond redemption. God knew their hearts. He knew they were beyond any desire to repent and to come back to Him. And like a rotting corpse, the earth reeked of the stench from sin. I think we talked about it a little bit last week, but I want to just throw this at you tonight. Can you think of a distinction? Why, if we take the, God's promise of the rainbow, God said and gave the rainbow as a symbol, I will not destroy the earth by a flood again. So we know that's not going to happen again. But take that aside. And if he had not said that, God destroyed the earth for a certain level of sin or wickedness at that day. If God were to come and judge our earth comparably, do you think he would judge us today with a flood? He would certainly have every right to. Sean, you're shaking your head this way, and I'm agreeing with you. Why? Okay. Okay, right. Now, there's a distinction between the two, Lorraine. Okay. 
That's what I was thinking. How big would the ark have to be today? Yeah. That's the main distinction I see, why God would not destroy. Now, again, apart from his promise, I understand that. But why God would not destroy the earth today because of the amount of salt that's in the earth today. Now, Christians are supposed to be salty, but if, he, if we had to make an ark today to, to house all of the Christians around the world, it would be, a, it would be obviously, it would be too big. There were how many saved, how many people saved on the ark? There were eight. Out of worldwide population, there were eight. Now, we had 32 this afternoon. There's more here this evening, and that's just this church. And all of our church members are not here. So that's just one locale of how many hundreds of thousands. And so for that one reason, I say I don't believe God would destroy the earth, even though there is the, perhaps the same kinds of wickedness that were going on back in that day. God's decree was well-founded. It had decayed beyond redemption. Number two, it was uniformly ruined. Uniformly ruined. All but Noah's immediate family had followed the godless race of Cain. You remember how we talked about the two bloodlines, uh, Cain's bloodline and Seth's godly line. In Seth's line, we talked about various names that were godly in this line. We couldn't name any over here, but there were over here. But by Noah's day, apparently, those two had intermarried so much, there was no distinction between the two. The only family left was Noah and his immediate family. Number three, it had become overrun with violence. Violence. We have but to look around today to see the germ that infected the earth in Noah's day. Violence is celebrated today in movies and even the media. News channels can't wait to flash images of violent acts before their lustful audience. There's something about violence that, that draws our base nature. There's something about it that, that's withdrawn to that. Um, I heard a great preacher years ago say, I think boxing, when two men face off and box each other, is atrocious, it's violent, and they ought to outlaw it. But as long as they show it on TV, I'm going to watch every one of them. <laughs> There's just that draw to wanting to watch that kind of thing. There's something in us. It's like, it's like watching a train wreck. You, you know, you shouldn't watch it, but you just, you're, just, you're drawn to it. There's something in our carnal flesh, I believe, that's drawn to violence. Number, or letter B, God's decree was against all flesh. Against all flesh. Number one, Noah's family, however, was the exception. Thankfully, there was an exception. For had God not spared Noah's family, there would have been no humans left, meaning you and I wouldn't be here. But in God's mercy, he salvaged humanity through the, through the family of Noah. In Psalm 34 and verse 15, the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears are open unto their cry. That means if you're living a godly life. I don't mean perfect. None of us are perfect. But you're living a godly life. You're walking with God. You have a relationship with Him. God's eyes are on you. He's watching you favorably. 
desiring to bless you and to watch over you. It's a wonderful verse. Number two, all flesh included land animals. All flesh included land animals. As a part of the curse from man's sin, the earth and everything in it had to be destroyed and reborn, including the animals. Most water-dwelling creatures would survive the flood, though some may not have been able to tolerate, we talked about last week, the mixing of fresh and salt water. There were likely some extinctions as a result. So all flesh included the land animals. So when it comes to letter D, God's plan of deliverance. God had a plan, a one to deliver man. Verse number 14, it says, Make thee an ark of gopher wood. Rooms shalt thou make in an ark, and shalt pitch it within and without with pitch. Before I go any farther, Gary, I've got to ask you a question. What is gopher wood? <laughs> the trouble is, I was believing you. <laughs> That's the right answer uh, for what we're going to talk about here. Not the gopher more, but <laughs> the other part. Number one, gopher wood is a mystery wood. And we're going to talk a little bit about it. And we had an interesting discussion this afternoon about this particular wood. The Hebrew word translated gopher wood is used only here in the scriptures. You won't find it any place else in the Bible. Only here. Meaning, it is unique to the ark. God said, use this particular wood to build the ark, and it's, it was a unique um, usage of it. Interestingly, the shape of God's instructions. So God gave Noah a set of instructions. Build it this long, this wide, this high. The instructions, or the blueprint, if you will, resembled a coffin. And it was, it was to be made of gopher wood. Some apparently think it might have been cypress wood. Ancient peoples often used Cyprus to build their coffins because of its indestructible nature. The gates of St. Peter's at Rome were made of gopher wood, apparently. They lasted over a thousand years from Constantine's time until that of Eugene IV with no signs of decay. Now, the simple truth is, after much study, many commentaries, I have no idea. Every commentary you read has its own opinion, but they don't know for sure what the wood is or even if we have it existing today. They don't know. Number two, Noah used pitch to waterproof the ark. Pitch. The word translated pitch here literally means to cover. Cover. God gave Noah the knowledge necessary to take materials accessible to him and make a waterproofing substance to cover both the interior and exterior of the ark. But here's what's interesting. This word, pitch, that means to cover, it's translated atonement in Leviticus. To cover. Leviticus 17.11 says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement, a covering for your souls. For it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. And we understand in the Old Testament, God made an atonement with blood. He covered man's sins in the Old Testament. As men uh, had their, gave their blood sacrifice, he covered their sins. When Jesus came along, he did not cover the sins. 
the cross did away with the sins. It washed away the sins. So this word atonement means to cover. Number three, the ark's massive size. Before I go on, have any of you been to the ark encounter? Some of you have. Okay, they tell me it's incredible. Someday I want to see it. They say the ark is incredibly big. It's a big, big thing you can see for a long ways away. The ark's massive size, verse 15, and this is the fashion which thou shalt make of it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, the breadth of it 50 cubits, and the height of it 30 cubits. Well, what's a cubit? 18 inches, she says. 18 inches, or, <laughs> this is how I learned it, it's from here to the tip of your middle finger, eight, which they say averages 18 inches. Problem. <laughs> there are actually two different lengths of cubit in ancient times. The 18 inch and one that is 20.4 inches. Or the standard and the longer one. And the longer one was used in large construction projects, is what I'm told. So number letter A is there are two typical cubit sizes. Two typical. The shorter one of 18 inches and the longer one of 20.4. These are averages. Now, I didn't read this. Maybe somebody knows this. But why the two? I think it's because of two different um, people groups. So if you were to take an average of Caucasians here in the U.S., you're going to come to roughly 18 inches. But if you were to go to some people groups, the average is going to be longer. And my guess is the longer one came from a different people group, but I don't know that for a fact. Uh, I told you letter B, larger projects use the longer cubit. Larger scale construction projects would usually incorporate the longer cubit, or 20.4 roughly. So that brings us to the arcs dimensions. So if you were to go to Kentucky, the arcs dimensions you're going to find are what I've put there on your sheet. 300 longer cubits would be 510 feet long. 50 cubits would be 85 feet long. And 30 cubits would be 51 feet high. Just to give us a little mental perspective, how long is a football field? It's how long, how far? <laughs> which, which translates how many feet? 300 feet. The ark in Kentucky, which they say this is what they think the cubits were, is 500 10 feet long. So this is almost two football fields end to end. That's a whole lot of arc there. 510 feet long. And I, according to um, the, their publishing materials, the arc encounter used the longer cubit to measure it off. Number four. The arc was more than just a rectangular box. They had openings and floors, number four, openings and floors. Verse 16, a window shalt thou make to the ark, and in a cubit shalt thou finish it above. And the door of the ark shall, shalt thou set in the side thereof with lower, second, and third stories shalt thou make it. And since some of you have been there and seen it, you can help me out. I have looked at pictures, but I still had a hard time discerning this. Um, Let's, let me give you these next ones, then I'll come back to you, okay? Letter A is a skylight. A skylight. 
God instructed Noah to put an opening for light in the roof of the ark. The word window, translated here, literally means light, midday, or noon. So I put a noon light, if you will, there. Noah likely took God to mean an opening running the length of the ark, possibly covered by a roof, a cubit before the roof line to allow indirect lighting and fresh air. Now, if you've been there, can you describe for me the light at the top of the ark? Okay, so you have the, the massive size of the ark, and then there's like a, like a, a smaller roof on top. And it goes all the, the whole length, it doesn't go the whole width, but the whole length, and there are openings along, underneath, on, underneath all the way up. Oh, you can actually see through. Yep. Oh, okay, all right, allowing light and what else in? Air. Why would they need opening for air? <laughs> because there's animals in there. Can you imagine? Whoa, can you imagine? Now, it's interesting because maybe they built this in, I don't know, but you've got the air clear at the ceiling, and that's it. I don't read about any, any ventilation down here. And they didn't have electricity, so there were not fans circulating it. So. That makes sense. So wouldn't there be a lot of stagnation of air in the lower lower decks and the heavy, smelly air be down there? Boy, I would not want my duty to be one cleaning out the stalls down there every day, that's for sure. Okay, so a skylight. Letter B is a door. A door. And this is this is critical, and God took some time to emphasize this aspect of the ark, the door. Well, first of all, number one is the only way to safety. The only way to safety. If you had lived in Noah's day, and you've got this massive ark, and it stands 51 feet high. And if you could not get in through the door, would there be any other way to get in in Noah's day? No. The only way in to safety is the door. God ordered only one door for access into the ark to be placed on the side. Through that door, Noah and his family, along with representations from all the animals, would make their way to safety. That door pictured the salvation offered by Jesus Christ, who is called the door. Thank you. It was called the door. Jesus is the door. In John 10, 9, I am the door. If by me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. As with Noah, only those who go to safety through the door will be saved from destruction. The door becomes an incredibly vital, important symbol of the ark. The way to safety is through that door. The way to eternal safety is through the door, Jesus Christ. Number two, it is a type of Christ. One commentary says Noah is a type of Christ. 
It reads, Noah was a type of Christ, the builder of his church, the ark was a figure of, and the pilot of it through the tempestuous sea of this world, and the provider of all good things for it, for the sustenance of it and of those who are in it. Letter E, God's plan of salvation. A lot of beautiful pictures in the ark. Number one, a judgment of complete destruction. Verse 17, and behold, I, even I, do bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, wherein is the breath of life from under heaven, and everything that is in the earth shall die. Complete destruction. Letter A, this flood was unique. It's unique. I'm amazed once again at God's usage of words. He is so precise in his usage of words. The word flood used here in Genesis is only used 12 times in the Bible. Each time, and I looked it up, every time this word is used, it always is directly tied to a worldwide deluge. Always. Meaning, every time this particular word is used, it's always talking about the flood, the worldwide flood, not floods. We had a flood at my home years ago. We were on vacation here in Colorado visiting my parents. And we got a call from a guy checking up our home. And when he opened the garage door, a wall of water came out the garage door. Come to find out we had water pouring out in the home for several days. And the basement had about this much water in it. And uh, all the main floor rooms had water about this deep. And so it was an exciting flood. But that word flood is different than this flood. Because this word flood means worldwide flood. Letter B. This judgment would be comprehensive. The purpose of the flood was to destroy all flesh, wherein is the breath of life. Man had become so vile and sinful, God's only recourse was to destroy them all, all except, of course, for the exception, Noah's family. Romans 8, 20 and following says, For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope, because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. Some of these words are starting to pop out because we've studied them. Um, vanity. The word vanity here means moral depravity or emptiness. The creature or creation, all of creation was made subject to emptiness, moral depravity. What it means is because of man's fall into sin, the curse put, came across all of creation. And all of creation suffered because of man's sin. Uh, they didn't do it willingly. You have yet to find an animal that is disobedient to God. Animals are not disobedient to God. They are all in subjection to God. Now, they may not be subjected to you, but they are in subjection to God. They always do what God says. We are the only creatures that disobey God. 
we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. However, God gave even the creatures who had been condemned because of man's sin a hope for a restored world, a new heaven, and a new earth. They have to look forward to. Number two, a covenant of protection. A covenant of protection. Letter A, Noah and his family would be saved. Verse 18, but with thee will I establish my covenant, and thou shalt come into the ark, thou and thy sons and thy wife and thy sons' wives with thee. What's the word covenant mean, generically speaking? A promise. Yeah, it's a promise. You have two people, and they make a covenant between them. It's a, it's a promise. Interesting word. This particular word for covenant includes another thought, and I'll give that to you. Number one, this particular word covenant means to purify. To purify. It still has the idea of promise, but it includes this idea of purifying. It comes from the Hebrew word berith, or B-E-R-I-T-H, which comes from a word meaning to purify or cleanse. All covenants between God and man were entered into by a means of a purifier, a blood sacrifice, to remove offenses and reconcile the sinner to God. The suggesting is that when God makes a covenant with man, he does so on the basis of a purifier. Can you think of where that purifier would come to play in our salvation? God made a covenant with man promise with man. If you do what I say, I promise. So if you put your faith and trust in Jesus, I promise. Has to go through a purifier. What is the purifier? Christ's blood. Exactly right. That is the purifying agent here in, in that. And so um, all covenants between man and God were entered into by a means of a purifier, thus blood sacrifice, to remove the sins uh, offenses and reconcile the sinner to God. And I thought that's where I wrote this. No, it's coming up. It's coming up. Number two, Old Testament tied blood sacrifice to God's covenants. The Old Testament tied blood sacrifice to God's covenants. Exodus 24 and verse 8 says, And Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, Behold the blood of the covenant which the Lord hath made with you concerning all these words. So we've got blood or a purifying agent tied to a covenant, a promise. In Psalm 50, verse 5, Gather my saints together unto me, those that have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. A purifying agent, a, sac a blood sacrifice. Opening the door for this promise. Number three, Jesus Christ became our covenant through his blood. The Lord Jesus Christ, who acted as man's purifier through his shed blood, became a covenant for his people. We see this in Isaiah 42 and verse 6. I, the Lord, have called thee. Now you check the context, you'll see it's God the Father talking of his Son, the Messiah. I, the Lord, the Father, have called thee, his Messiah, in righteousness and will hold thine hand, and will keep thee, and give thee, the Messiah, for a covenant of the people, for a light of the Gentiles. 
God the Father says, I will give my son, the Messiah, to man as a covenant. Number four, God offered Noah a covenant or agreement. We could say that God offered a sacrifice in this agreement that he made with Noah. There has to be a purifier in God's agreements or promises to man. There has to be a purifier. What is that purifier in God's covenant with Noah? Um, let me read this. We could say that God offered a sacrifice, which was the deaths of all mankind, to cleanse a way for the salvation of Noah and his family. It was a covenant entered into by faith. We, we read about the Noahic covenant. Genesis 9, 8 and 9. And God spake unto Noah and to his sons with him, saying, I, behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your seed after you. And I'm suggesting that that covenant was made based upon the purifying of the deaths of humanity. Letter B. Representatives of each kind of animal would be saved. Kind of animal. We've talked about this previously, but can <clears throat> you imagine the size ark would need to be if two of every animal on the ark. Well, two of every animal were not on the ark. Two of each kind of animal on the ark. For instance, the large cat family. You got lions, you got tigers, you got panthers, you got cheetahs, leopards. Well, all you would need is one pair of the cat family because in the cat family is the DNA for all the variations that we have today. So on the ark was just one uh, representation of the large cat family. So it saved a lot of room. Verse 19 and 20, And of every living thing of all flesh, two of every sort shalt thou bring into the ark to keep them alive with thee, and shall be male and female, of fowls after their kind, and of cattle after their kind, of every creeping thing of the earth after his kind, two of every sort shall come unto thee to keep them alive. And again, we talked about this, but the basic classifications. You go to a, a, a biologist? Is that the right word for animals? Okay. What's that? Okay. All right. And, and you do different classifications. Well, what they're suggesting is uh, more than likely the classification that's referred to in the Bible is the family classification here. Number one, Noah became a savior, not capital S. He became a savior, not the savior. He was commanded to take two of every bird, animal, and creeping thing, likely reptiles and that kind of animal. Noah would become to the animals a type of Christ in that he would provide safety from the destruction, food for their sustenance. Noah saved those whom he was to rule. So does Christ. Hebrews 5.9, And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Number two, this is interesting. Do you know that Noah did not have to hunt for the animals? I've never th thought about that before. The verse says 
two of every kind shall come unto thee. He didn't have to spend weeks out there hunting down the animals. They were all going to come to him. Somehow, God put in their programming to go to the ark. Just like certain birds will go from way up north all the way down south and then go back and know how to go get there. They'll go to the very same lake, very same region. How in the world can they do that? That's incredible. God put it in their DNA. Well, God placed in the DNA of these animals to go to the ark. Destruction's coming. Go to the ark. Remember Bambi? You ever watch Bambi? Okay, when the fires all broke out, what do the, all the animal, the woodland creatures all do? They ran. Why? They knew instinctively to run for their lives. Number three. Have you ever thought about the insects? The insects? Number three. What about insects? Where did we get them? Where would they be if they did not have some association with the ark? Okay. Okay. Good insights. Good insights. That was given today, and I think you're right. How in the world did the insects survive? Well, first of all, I think some insects were able to survive outside the ark. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But mosquitoes have a hard time. You know, they're very, they, the least little wind, and you know, they have a hard time. I think they probably ended up in the ark, which means I think they probably were doing some swatting of mosquitoes inside the ark. Yeah? Very likely. Very likely. And there may have been, I don't know if they had it at the ark encounter, but there may have been an entire room designated to insects. I don't know. No. Now, again, they wouldn't have to have every kind of insect. They would have to have from family in there. So I don't know. Very likely. It's a good point. Yeah, very likely. Another possibility that was suggested is when the waters covered the earth, it's possible a lot of vegetation floated to the top. In that vegetation could have been a lot of sea, a lot of eggs there that may have been able to tolerate that, that climate. There may have been certain uh, animals, or certain insects, that had burrowed themselves down in the earth. And, and when the floods recited, they came out, maybe. So let me give you um, um, one person's idea of insects. Noah could have taken insects onto the ark if God brought them to him. And it would have been practically impossible, humanly speaking, to keep insects from joining the crew on the ark. Can you imagine if the insects were called to Noah? You look up in the sky, you see these armies of insects coming your way. That could have been spooky. It does seem possible, then, that a number of types of insects were on the ark. It's also reasonable to assume that God would not have specifically prevented insects from boarding the ark. Humans, animals, and plants could have benefited from many kinds of insects being on board, assuming they grew plants and housed carnivores. Whether or not insects were specified in God's command to bring representative kinds on board is still debated. Um, the most likely scenario is that they survived outside the ark, but that the most delicate insects were brought on board, along with others that could have been used as food sources for other humans 
or as composters and pollinators. Interesting. Sheila? We're going to talk about that. Good, good, poss good, uh, good insight. We're going to talk about just about two points here. <laughs> so, so, uh, so I don't know. We'll see here. Number three. By the way, there were uh, no doubt insects on the ark, which means they had to deal with the insects, which means the animals had to deal with the insects. But now there are really good things that insects do, for instance, pollinate, which means there are probably what kind of insects on the ark? Yes, there are probably bees in the ark. Yeah, very likely. Number three, a provision for sustenance. For sustenance, verse 21, and take thou unto thee of all food that is eaten. And thou shalt gather it to thee, and it shall be for food for thee and for them. Letter A, plants. Plants, grains, and seeds brought aboard. Most creatures would still be herbivores. So seeds, grains, and plants would have been loaded on the ark to provide the majority of both man's and the animal's diets. It's incredible to consider all of the calculations that had to have been made. Can you imagine? to figure out how much food was necessary on the ark to supply their needs for the entire journey. Genesis 1.29, And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed, which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree in the which the fruit of a tree yielding seed, to you it shall be for meat. Initially, God made man an herbivore, not a vegetarian, to not eat meat. Initially, to not eat meat. There was not meat eating going on at the beginning. That means lions and tigers did not eat meat initially. Some animals, apparently, according to this, letter B, would be needed for food for others. Some would have become carnivores by the time of the flood. We know, they say, from the fossil record that some animal carnivory started prior to the flood. For example, we have fossils of fish eating other fish, a mammal with a dinosaur in its fossilized stomach contents, and teeth marks on bones, as well as animal bones in um, copper lights. Copper lights. Since much of the fossil record is evidence of the flood, it's clear these are examples of pre-flood carnivorous activities. That's what they say. Interesting. Number four. A faithful obedience. Number twenty or verse twenty-two. Thus did Noah, according to all that God commanded him, so did he. One of the most important things that Noah ever did in his life was obey. Let's just say that Noah spent all those years building this enormous ark. But he failed to put a door on. He's got this whole ark there but there's no door. The rain start. What's he going to do? He's going to perish because he didn't obey. His obedience to every little minute detail was an evidence of his faith that God was telling the truth. And that faith is what saved Noah and his family. Genesis 7.5 echoes this, And Noah did according to unto all that the Lord commanded him. Noah faithfully and immediately followed God's blueprints. 
he was careful to respect every detail. He had never seen an ark. God did not send pictures of an ark. All he had were measurements. He had to trust God for the final product. He simply took what God said, he followed it to a T, and the final result was what God wanted. Hebrews 11:7 by faith Noah being warned of God of things not seen as yet moved with fear prepared an ark to the saving of his house by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. I got to thinking about this. You know there are times where God does not give you the picture of the final product. He doesn't give you ahead of time where you're going to spend the rest of your life. When you are in school, he may not give you a little picture, a postcard of the college you're going to go to. When you are of non-marrying age, he doesn't send you a little picture of your spouse. He simply gives you commands. Do this, and I'll take care of this. Do this, and I'll take care of this. Make the ark this long and this wide and this tall and put three stories in it, and I'll take care of the result. We have to trust God by faith to simply obey what he does give us and trust him with what we don't understand of the outcome. Number five, an imminent judgment. An imminent judgment. Uh, chapter 7, verse 1, And the Lord said unto Noah, Come thou and all thy house into the ark. For thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. Letter A, God was already in the ark. I'd never noticed this. He did not say, Noah, go in the ark. He said, Noah, come in the ark. Because he was already in there. Uh, Psalm 91.1, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Proverbs 18.10, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runneth into it and is safe. God was not going to abandon Noah. He was going to go through the long trial with him, though his presence may not be felt. There is nothing I see in the Scriptures that tells us that Noah felt God's presence during that time. He trusted His promise. And therein is the key to faith. We so want to feel it. We want to feel this or we want to feel that. And God says, I want you to trust me. I simply want you to trust Thomas said, until I see the, the, the prints in his hands or touch them, I will not believe. I have to see it first. And Jesus said, it would have been so much better if you would have simply believed me. Just believe me. Let there be a greater need for clean animals. <laughs> clean animals as opposed to unclean animals. Verse 2 and 3. Of every clean beast thou shalt take to thee by sevens, the male and his female, and of the beasts that are not clean by two the male and his female, of fowls also of the air by sevens, the male and the female, to keep seed alive upon the face of the earth. Did you notice, originally he said you're going to bring the animals in by two, by pairs, two of every animal. 
Now he says you're going to bring the animals in by twos, except for the clean animals. The clean animals you're going to bring in by sevens, as well as the birds of the air, you'll bring them in by sevens. Why? Well, I say here why, but why? Why sevens? Good. Very good. Why else? Food. Good. Good. Those are my two answers. You just took them away from me. Number one, clean animals for food and service, first of all. Food and service. God foresaw the need for the earth to be repopulated quickly. Likely because of man's needs for food and for service animals. Man uses animals not just for food, but also for toiling, for working. They do the plowing. They're, they're, they carry burdens, all sorts of things animals do. Likely because of man's needs for food and service animals, he told Noah to bring more of the clean animals. And then number two, he's got an odd number. We've got three pairs there and an odd duck, if you will. We've got two, 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 and one. And I think that you're exactly right. I think that seventh was to be a sacrifice to God. The likely reason for the odd number is the need for animals to be sacrificed to God. That seventh was a special one for God. And that's our study for tonight. Let's have a prayer. Dear Lord, thank you for your incredible love and blessing, and we thank you that we can come to you and we can ask for your wisdom and guidance as we study your word. Lord, there's a lot of a lot of answers that we don't have here, and so we have to speculate. But Lord, I pray that you will give us the answers that we do need, ones that are important for us pattering our lives. And so I pray, Lord, that you'll help us to be more like Noah, more like him and our faith, trusting you just to obey you. Thank you for this time. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.